Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Mayfair Theatre Podcast. I'm Andrew. And this is Josh. And we are without Mel this week. She's pretty busy. Mel I is guess. Mel is on assignment. <laughs> yeah, oh. she's uh meaning that she's busy or this is her day off from the theater and she has better things to do than hang out with us. <laughs> hang out with us nerds. <laughs> Talk about movies. Um and it is May the 4th, uh, and we'll be chatting about movies from May 6th to 12th. Uh, but yeah, May the 4th, which means it's the annual day where we explain to people why we're not showing a Star Wars movie at the theater. Yeah. <laughs> Although it's not the only day no. we do that. Now, now we'll get to do that on an annual basis, because every time a new Star Wars episode or, um, what are they calling them, Star Wars anthology films comes out? Spinoffs, yeah. Star Wars spinoffs, we'll have to explain it, but... Um, uh, yeah, we wish. We would love to show a Star Wars movie. Just the other day, I, I told someone on Facebook about it, and he was all angry, and I was like, well, you know, it's nothing new, so there's nothing new to be angry to anyone about. It, it's It's been going on for, for decades, this policy. It's not one I understand. It's one that I say that if I am ever happen to be at a film festival or animation festival and John Lasseter's there, that's going to be my Q&A question. Right. Is to just nicely go up to the, the mic and be like, um... Hi, I help run a repertory theater, and we show all kinds of old movies, but we can't show any old Disney, Pixar, Star Wars, Muppet movies, because they're all owned by you guys now. Uh, can you not do that? <laughs> like, I just don't get it, especially since everyone else seems to let us let everybody screen old films, whether it be... You know, we, we whether it be Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein mm-hmm. or James Bond movies or we did Marilyn Monroe movies a while back. So it seems that they're the only ones. Well, I guess I guess it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of distributors, I guess maybe even most, are really only interested in their current yeah. lineup of films in terms of theatrical release. So Yeah, and, and I guess the mindset is they want to focus on making money there. Mm-hmm instead of being distracted by something else, which I, I guess they could argue. I always thought, like, a few years back, like, if we had been able to show Tron, say, even not on the same weekend, but say, mm-hmm. like, two weekends before or a month before the new Tron movie came mm-hmm. out, you think that all that would do is is if if all of us repertory cinemas did that around North America, you think it would just drum up more publicity for their sequel. Yeah. But... Because Star Wars needs publicity. Star Wars needs our help. But, it needs uh, a boost. On the topic, though, down the line, June 11th, we are screening uh, an auto, auto premiere of a documentary called Elstree 1976. Yeah, this looks really good. Looks really good. Uh, and so it's all about... Kind of, there's been so many documentaries and so many articles and so many magazines about Star Wars. It's kind of hard to get a different documentary perspective Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one, I guess, is about more about like the extras and the actors under the, the masks. Yeah, the bit players, and uh, I guess um, David Prowse is in it, who played Darth Vader. Yeah, I guess he's probably the biggest name in it, and, and the the guy who was in it the most. And then just from the trailer I've seen, I think there's like you know extras who are in that you know X wing scene and yeah. extras at Mos Eisley Cantina. Yeah. And I'm not sure the actor, but they but I was reading the press release and they said, and an actor and character who was cut out of the film. And so I don't know if that means just a bit player or kind of in nerd circles, famously there was a scene with Luke going to 
uh, Moss Eisley with his with his teenage friends that was cut from the film. Mm-hmm. And I know there was like a, a young like a girl and and um, oh what's the character name Biggs who shows up at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. So it might be one of those guys who shows up, but it looks really cool and it's uh, just a neat behind the scenes look. And I think they do a little bit of recreations, which a lot of documentaries do nowadays. But uh, yeah, so we're not showing that today, but next month we'll have a, a dose of Star Wars. Yeah, that starts on the on June eleventh. June eleventh, yeah. yeah. And that's from a, a, a British documentary house, so that's cool. Cool mm-hmm. get over here. Um, but on the topic at hand of stuff we're screening this week, uh, this kind of happened last minute, I believe. Originally, there was another film in this slot, and uh, but we're screening a hologram for the King with Tom Hanks from director Tom Tickwer. Is that who, how you say it, Tickwer? Tickwer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Something like that. It's the the man who directed Run Lola Run. Yes. Yeah. And it it just came out. Like, it only came out... A couple weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And so we're, we got that very quick. Um, I love Run, Lola, Run. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I worked at a theater in Vancouver when Run, Lola, Run came out. And it's one of those rare examples or rare times where I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what the movie was about. I didn't know uh, who was in it. All I knew was the poster we had up. And I got to see it, like, at the, the press screening, essentially. So, like, it was, like, a few days before, a week before. And it just blew me away. And it's so hard to see a movie today, like, blind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I saw that one, and it, it, that one sticks with me, and it's, it's kind of one of my favorite uh, themes of kind of, like, the what-if script, the what-if movie. Um, but he's done it, but, man, that was, God, that was already 20 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's done a whole bunch of, not too much in North America. He's kind of, he's more of an international filmmaker. Uh, but this is an American production or or a British production maybe, but with Tom Hanks in the lead and kind of a smaller film even for Tom Hanks. Yeah. And, uh, it's based on a book that I'm not familiar with, but it was a kind of a big shot book by Dave Eggers that I believe was, um, nominated and won a whole bunch of book awards but uh but yeah so we have that starting up this friday the 6th at four fifteen, and we have it all week mm-hmm. he plays a an american businessman sent to saudi arabia to close what he hopes will be the deal of a lifetime baffled by local customs and stymied by an opaque bureaucracy he eventually he eventually finds his footing with the help of a wisecracking taxi driver and a beautiful saudi doctor so i guess it's like a fish out of water story yeah Tom Tom Hanks in a very Tom Hanks role. Tom Tom Hanksian, yeah. <laughs> Tom Hanksian. Tom Hanks being Tom Hanks. Um, we also have this week uh, Miles Ahead. Mm-hmm. I've seen this. This is a must for Miles Davis fans, of course. And it's funny because we just had uh, the Chet Baker movie not mm-hmm. too long ago. Well, this is a lot different. This is not a. I haven't seen Born to Be Blue, but that yeah. was um, a very downbeat. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't know if that was more traditional biopic, but Miles Ahead is entirely fictitious. Oh right, it's, yeah. It's um, set during uh, Miles Davis's reclusive period in the seventies when he wasn't really doing much. Yeah. And uh, Rolling Stone reporter, played by Ewan McGregor, comes knocking at his door, wanting to do a story about him, and then they're kind of stuck together, um, going around the city buying drugs and. 
he gets a, a private session tape stolen from him, so he's trying to reclaim that. And then there's flashbacks to uh, Miles's um, previous marriage to this woman that went completely sour. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a fun movie. It's funny because and Don Cheadle's really fantastic. Oh, Don Cheadle's as, um, yeah, he's always good. And he wrote and direct, co-wrote and directed it too. Yeah, anytime there's a movie based on a true story, it's funny because there's an assumption that it's yeah 100% people take that literally true, even when they kind of come out and be like, no, this is just inspired by. I mean, yeah. it, it's um understandable blurring of lines because people say, oh, well, that's a real person, mm-hmm. but especially in a movie, you can just kind of do whatever you want as long as you just kind of say the based on original yeah. ideas based on a true story well this isn't based on a true story no <laughs> i mean the circumstances he he was in at that time are true but what happens in the film is totally yeah fictitious and don cheadle's been someone who i think the first time i saw him was boogie nights I think. yeah i think that was one of his first big roles he did like fresh prince and some tv stuff yeah but yeah <laughs> In, in Boogie Nights is the cowboy porn oh my star God. And selling like, stereos on the side. And whether it be kind of, you know, heavy drama or kind of real, like, now he's in some big big, uh, big budget stuff because he's, he's got his feet in the Marvel Universe now playing yeah. uh, War Machine. War Machine. Um, is he in Civil War? Uh, he is, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I, I wish, I mean, it, it's uh, disparaging to the actor who played War Machine in Iron Man 1 but I'm like, can we go back and just digitally put Don Cheadle in that first movie just to kind of make everything the same now? But because mm-hmm. he only came in in the uh, second, the Iron second Man. one, yeah. yeah. But yeah, he's he's such a good actor, and uh, and this is his yeah directorial debut for a feature. He's done some TV stuff. He did um, House of Lies, yeah, and I think a couple other couple other things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I love music bios. I don't know if this is the same, but like. The moral of the story of every music bio is usually don't get into music. Like it's like uh, the Chet Baker one was very much kind of showed the the harsh underbelly of the music scene. Yeah, and this this shows it too. There there's a sleazy record producer. I don't know if he's a record. Pro- I think he's like an A and M guy. Yeah, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, who was in Steve Jobs and the A Serious Man, the Coen Brothers movie. Okay, yeah, and he's um he's the one who steals his tape and kind of screws with Miles Davis. Yeah. Hoping to get some some cash because he's not doing any music in the film. He's sort of, he's just hanging out in his apartment, right. drinking, you know, being a nuisance. And uh, the record company is like, uh, we can't give you any more money until you start giving us music. So yeah, they're, they're kind of on his ass about that. Is Ewan American in it or... Uh, no, no, he's Irish. Oh, that's good. So oh, his, that's not yeah. even his. <laughs> oh, he's Scottish. Isn't he Scottish? Yeah. I think. It, well, he plays an. Yeah, no, I think he's he plays an Irishman in this movie. Closer, closer to his yeah. accent. Yeah, I always. Yeah, he doesn't play an American. I, I, I always. Unless it's like really integral to the plot, you know, like you're playing Abe Lincoln or something. <laughs> I, I think they should just leave it alone. Like, you know, like if, if in this case playing a journalist, you know, yeah, just do your normal voice. Because mm-hmm. often, yeah. it's funny, because I just saw Ricky Gervais talking about this, that anytime he reads a script that is not his own, and it says, like, a different accent, he always rewrites it and just says, just do a quick little rewrite and say, 
oh yeah, he moved here when he was in high school. His parents moved here because of work or whatever. Yeah, they can write that into the story. And then you don't got to worry about about doing that extra bit of effort of putting on an accent and like thinking about that instead of concentrating just on the task at hand of, of acting. Um, yeah, any any time it's like that, I'm just like, yeah, just just leave it alone. Just just mm-hmm. let him let him be whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. A lot of people, I mean, it's it's way too early, but anytime a movie like this comes out, people are like, oh, early Oscar buzz, mm-hmm. and could be deserved. But I'm like, it, it, the Oscars is down to such a formula now, where it's like, it, yeah, it's totally predictable. Like ninety five percent of the movies that are nominated are released in like November December. Mm-hmm. So any movie, it's a rarity that anything earlier kind of usually is kind of forgotten about because they put all of their advertising and, and publicity mm-hmm. and everything behind yeah, it. Yeah, there's a time to, you know, get out there and start campaigning, you know. The yeah. clock is ticking for the nominations. Yeah, and it's like anytime you see a movie by big shot people that comes out in, like, January, that's usually suspicious. That's usually mm-hmm. like, oh, that means they didn't even want to bother. But but I don't really care. Like, at, no, this, at no. this point, I'm like, okay, you know, if it gets nominated, great. Otherwise, you know, I just care about movies being good like, yeah in, in a case like this too i just want the movie to make enough money so don Cheadle and the production company go hey that was worth it let's go let's do, do another, another miles good, davis movie. yeah let's go do another good movie because uh, like you know not every movie has to make hundreds of millions of dollars it just has to kind of make his budget back and kind of then, mm-hmm. then they can say oh yeah let's let don Cheadle direct something else again um but yeah so looking forward to that one Another movie, uh, Ottawa premiere this week is Louder Than Bombs, which looks like a kind of a heavy uh, family character drama. Yeah, it's about this family that's reeling from the death of their mother, mm-hmm. who was a war photographer, I guess, in Iraq or Afghanistan. And it's Isabel Huppert and uh, Lex Luthor. What's his name? Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. And uh, Gabriel Byrne. What's Isabel in? I'm not familiar with her off the top She was of in I Heart Huckabees. Oh, okay. And uh, a lot of French films from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Heaven's Gate. <laughs> oh, Heaven's Gate. <laughs> the right. big legendary flop. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's been in tons of stuff. Been uh, around for a long time. And uh, Gabriel Byrne. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember Gabriel Byrne from Cool World. Which oh, that's is, right, yeah. Which is a giant flop of a movie. Yeah, I remember when that came out. That... That I'm not saying it's good, but I love it. <laughs> like, is, is that, that distinction between good and, and enjoyment? I remember going, my parents taking me to the airport drive-in to see A League of Their Own. Oh, yeah. And Cool World was playing on another screen, and I was uh-huh. like, I don't want to watch Cool World. <laughs> What's that movie over there? Yeah. That's the funniest, I remember that too. The funniest thing about drive-ins is, is if, if it had two or three screens, and this weird thing that, like, Movies are so kind of like stamped with ratings and censored and cut. And, you know, they, the director's cut comes out eventually mm-hmm. or you hear about the violence cut out. But at a drive-in, you can have, uh, you know, some family-friendly friend film. I think, if I remember correctly, I saw some like, you know, actual kind of kid-type movies. But say like, you know, something Disney like Pirates of the Caribbean. And then to your left might be like a... Uh, uh, Shades of Grey movie or something, where if a kid just turns their head, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. There it is. That's true. Or, or like I think 
you know, the, and they play porno movies. Uh, I think back in the day, or at least kind of softcore erotic yeah. stuff. Or like that, that the the other weird thing of like, at sixteen you can get a driver's license, but you might not be old enough to go see a restricted movie still. So kids, sixteen year old kids could drive in, and then go see the R rated movie that they could not walk into mm-hmm. at a a movie theater, mm-hmm. which is a weird. Well, it's still easy to get into R-rated movies. You just buy a ticket for some PG movie, and then instead of going into Cinema 8, you go into Cinema 11. I remember um, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone joking that Wild Wild West, I think it was Wild Wild West, owed the South Park movie like $25 million because that was the PG movie out at the same time as their R-rated South Park cartoon. Oh, okay. So they were like, how many... 13, 14, 15 year olds went up, bought a ticket to Wild Wild West in Cinema 5 yeah. and then walked into South Park in Cinema 6. And and it's true. Like it's 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 if you could actually go back and look at that kind of stuff and I'm sure all kinds of movies that have very skewed like millions of dollars skewed box office takes because of kids sneaking into yeah. R-rated stuff. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, like I remember sneaking into The Crow and yeah, same thing. We just, you know, bought a ticket for something else and walked into the crow mm-hmm. and just hoped for the best that either the ushers didn't care because they were just, you know, minimum wage teenagers. Yeah, yeah. But then sometimes you got them who were like super ambitious and you'd get get tossed. <laughs> but um, uh, but yeah, so Louder Than Bombs, uh, Gabriel Byrne, uh, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg has had quite the turn of events because... I remember when he was kind of the guy who isn't Michael Sarah. Right, right. Michael Sarah kind of had a bigger kind of run through the gates when he started doing Arrested Development and Super Bad and stuff like that. Yeah, and yeah. They, they kind of look enough the same, and they kind of could go for the same roles. Yeah, yeah. And then now he's they probably get mistaken for each other all the time. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and and but now he's got social network under his belt and despite mm-hmm. all evidence to it being horrible the superman batman under his belt so I know he's in that he's in that world now too but uh, but yeah so louder than bombs ottawa premiere uh coming up this week uh the other ottawa premiere is how to plan an orgy in a small town this is a canadian film yeah it's a canadian comedy it's the same team that did oh what's a the movie they had another kind of sex-themed Canadian comedy a couple years ago mm-hmm. that I just forgot the title of. Uh, but it's won a bunch of... Won a, a bunch of uh, between this and the last one, the, the filmmakers won some awards here in Canada. And it's a uh, very Canadian cast. The, the, the two that I noticed out of it the most are uh, Jewel State is in it, who is in Firefly and Serenity. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played Kaylee on that. And... If I'm remembering her name correct, it's Catherine Isabel. From Ginger Snaps. From Ginger Snaps. That's a really good movie. I love that movie. And uh, and she's kind of got a Canadian horror queen career going. Yeah, because there were a bunch of sequels to yeah, Ginger Snaps. Yeah, because she did three Ginger Snaps, and then I know she did a few others, and then she's done some kind of uh, some TV TV genre geek work as well. So mm-hmm. she's But yeah, Ginger Snaps. I like the whole trilogy. The, the trilogy is an interesting thing, because like... The first one's like a teenage girl werewolf movie. Mm -hmm. The second one kind of has more of a ghost movie theme to it. And then the third one 
inexplicably just because it's like a um, a period piece. It's yeah, like, it's like it's like they're playing their ancestors or something. Yeah, yeah. And all three of them, you can kind of just watch self-contained. But yeah, oh, I really like those ones a lot. And um, but yeah, so she's in it, and yeah, so how to plan orgy in a small town? I think it's just like a goofy, racy Canadian sex comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's hit, May eleventh and twelfth. May eleventh and twelfth at nine. The rating here says to be announced, so I don't know what it is. I don't know if I, I wonder. I wonder is it PG? Yeah, is it P, I don't know if they're going like like an AA kind of thing or like a full blown R rated comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a uh, we we don't even try like we don't go out of our way, but just we 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 book good interesting films, mm-hmm. and it's another Canadian film that we've screened of late. We mm-hmm. we've had a few documentaries in the past few weeks. Um, and I think we have a few more coming up on the horizon, but, uh, yeah, so it's always nice to show kind of indie Canadian films on, on screen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what's next? So completely opposite end of the scale, we have, uh, family matinees this weekend mm-hmm. of The Little Prince. And I'm glad we got this because I had thought I had read... It was a weird thing where, like, their distributor kind of backed out on them in the last minute. I, I think Paramount was supposed to put it out in the States, and they dropped it for some reason, and it so went straight weird. to Netflix. Yeah. But that didn't happen here in Canada. Oh, okay. So it, it got a theatrical release here in Canada, of course, because yeah. we're showing it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt... I remember reading just a bit about it and felt so bad for the filmmakers to be like... like you're so close to being released. All the posters are up. The ads yeah, and I are don't on know TV. Why, I don't know why they did that. No, and, and it's not that it's... it's um, You know, sometimes a movie might get shelved because it has script problems or there's like a, you know, a fight for the final cut with the director or whatever. But this film is already screened internationally. And right. And amongst other accolades, it won the uh, Cesar Awards uh, Best Animated Feature Film. What's the studio behind this? Uh, I'm not sure. Isn't it like a French studio? Probably now, yeah. I, yeah, because like... So on, on, the, on the, the one we're screening, it will be with... It's in English, so it's in English. Yeah, because there's um, American actors doing the voices. Jeff Bridges. Uh, it's, a, it's a big cast. It's uh, mm. uh, Jeff Bridges. James and, Franco. Ricky Gervais. Yeah. Paul Rudd. Benicio del Toro, Bud Court, Paul Giam. Wow, what a cast! Yeah, uh, Albert, Albert Brooks. Brooks. Yeah, it's a crazy cast. Amazing cast. I think I think with movies like this, the the good news is they have a certain budget, and it's not a giant commitment for these actors. And yeah, they just show up in their pajamas and yeah, and, paid, and, and not only really that, it sounds funny, but it used to be you'd have to like you know go to a recording studio, sit there, kind of quiet space, be careful about you know no extra sounds. But from what I understand now, you can literally phone it in and either someone will come to your house and just kind of over the phone, like over the computer, you can just record from your house. So that makes it even easier. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. I've heard about some voice actors where the one example I know is that um, Liam Neeson did kind of an extended cameo on the Star Wars animated series, uh, television series. Mm -hmm. And that's how they did it. They were pretty much like, oh, yeah, it'll take, you know half an hour, an hour to do it. We can do it from your house or from wherever you're working. We'll just find a quiet space just because the technology is better and I think it's a bit easier to kind of weed out background noises and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of these actors, it's not like, okay, we have to record you in Los Angeles on Thursday. 
It could be like, oh, I want to do this, but I'm in New York. They'll be like, okay, we can set up a thing through, you know, through the computer. Or, I don't know if they send someone to the house and kind of help out or if they just kind of Skype it in kind of thing. But well, I don't think Skype would no, <laughs> sound very or, or good. Or some, some equivalent of Skype, yeah. Are they really that lazy? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, because this cast is crazy and it's not like a movie where you would have to, a live action movie where you would have to get everyone together on a location and mm-hmm. film for 12 hours a day. Like a lot of these voice actors for a animated film that pre-exists, like I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, knock out their work in like a day. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to pay Jeff Bridges, you know, a few million bucks. You pay him whatever, get mm-hmm. him in. And then the final result is you get all these big shot people on your poster and in your trailer. Uh, the the um, anime does that a lot, especially the um, yeah the American uh, North American versions. They get you know I think yeah. Brian Cranston before he was big he he did um, voiceovers for a lot of yeah. anime yeah 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 um, but it looks it's it's based on a book. Uh, like a, I thought it was based on like a like a picture book, but it's based on kind of like a novella that mm-hmm. has pictures in it. Um, and then it's been various forms of culture since then, whether it be stage shows or mm-hmm. cartoons or I I think there was a live action movie, but I can't remember. I think there might have been. I think yeah, there in the seventies. And there was I think when I was a kid there was like a TVO broadcast French like France French animated series mm-hmm. that uh that that tvo screened as well so that's where i think i'm familiar with it but yeah the 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 online buzz anyhow from our social media is a lot of people excited to see it a lot of people excited just because they were familiar that we had hoped to screen it a little while ago and now that we're getting a second chance so that's kind of cool mm-hmm. um but yeah and we 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 love showing family films whenever we can just often there's, there's just not that many out there uh, more and more of like real kind of kid-friendly animation. You get like one a year from Pixar maybe and one a year from Disney and then like a Minions film or something. Mm-hmm. But uh, but we do what we can and, and so we're excited to get to show this one. Uh, and then our last one this week is a one night only. Uh, Sunday, May 8th at 8.45, we're screening Purple Rain. And uh, in honor, of course, of Prince, who passed away recently. And this is the 1984 Oscar-winning kind of... uh, Sort of a biopic of Prince. Yeah, kind of speaking of not-true story, kind of a pseudo-biopic where where it has the the broad brushstrokes of Prince's life, of kind of of his performance and his style and, Mm -hmm. and being from Detroit. And I'm sure there's some other aspects in there, his family life. and yeah. That kind of thing, but it's not a uh, almost. It's funny. It, it, it's a very similar story to Eight Mile with Eminem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, and in that, where same thing. It wasn't a on the nose biopic, but a, a similar undertaking of a a musician playing himself, kind of in a movie. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen this movie forever. Um, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's it's so worth seeing, especially on the big screen. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, Doug Benson was talking about it recently because I think every we're not the only theater that had this idea. No, <laughs> so, no, so no. so down down in uh, down in L.A., Doug Benson was talking about it. He saw it at one of the one of the cool theaters down there, and was talking about how like it's just such like a a a a nice comforting thing to see this performer at his prime, and even though 
yes, the movie from front to back is not a perfect film, but it's just like every five minutes there's another Prince music video you get to watch. Yeah, yeah. And the so the movie might be a little bit 80s and a little bit dated, but the performances hold up. Mm-hmm. And what we're screening is, of course, like a... Uh, we thought we would just screen, have to screen the uh, like a Blu-ray, but we're actually screening like a DCP, so a digital mm-hmm. digital restoration of the the original print, and it's um, yeah, it's I had hoped too that we would maybe be able to track down Sign of the Times, which is his concert film, mm-hmm. but just you know the same mystery around millions of other movies of just like nope, not or a, or Under the Cherry Moon, <laughs> Under the Cherry Moon, yeah, um, yeah, it's funny I listened to. Kevin Smith chat about Prince as well because he was a big Prince fan. He was talking about that he actually likes that film. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, again, one of those examples of of having a film that you really love. And that's fine. And it might not be a great movie, but you still love it. And I mm-hmm. think that's these Prince films or that kind of thing. Except for Sign of the Times is just kind of a more of a straight-up concert film. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I hope people come out. There was There was a lot of... A lot of people online excited that we were screening it and saying they're going to come and see it. and So everyone will come out and wear purple and be sad and watch Prince. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, I think I mentioned it last time or a couple times ago where, where Sign of the Times was the first movie I ever saw at the Mayfair. So Prince will have a nice uh, uh, connection to me in this place forever because that's oh. the first movie I saw on the big screen here. was was uh, It was a double bill back when the Mayfair did double bills all the time. And it was Sign of the Times... And Tommy, <laughs> that was the, oh cool. Yeah, that was the first two movies I saw, and I was like thirteen, and I remember watching Tommy, and there was just a few parts of being and being like, oh, I might not be old enough to watch this yet. <laughs> just like, and then soon after that, I saw a Monty Python double bill. I think it was, and now for something completely different, and Life of Brian, mm-hmm. I think, and that, and so that was that was my first couple of first few Mayfair movies that I saw here. Back in the day, a million years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's all the stuff we have this week. Uh, we have a ton of other stuff we could talk about. Well, um, we have some new bookings that we yeah. should probably mention. Um, well, we got two newer premieres. We got Hunt for the Wilder People, which is, uh, that's August 3rd. Yeah. Is that, like a, is that a New Zealand film? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. This is, if anybody's familiar with uh, Flight of the Concords. Uh, this movie is directed by Taika Waititi, who mm-hmm. is, is one of the, the Flight of the Concords gang. I think he directed at least three or four episodes, if not more, and plus I think a couple of music videos for them. And more recently, his last feature film was, um, uh, oh shoot, what was it called? The Shadows. Um, what We Do in the Shadows. What We Do in the which, Shadows. Yeah, it was a big hit here. Yeah, which, which was one I was so ecstatic to get because it was one that didn't have a, a giant distribution umbrella but we managed to track it down and get it and did so well here. Mm-hmm. So it's by Taika Waititi who directed that and, and two films before that, one of which was uh, Boy and the other one Eagle versus Shark. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for me, it's, it's, a, it's a young career, but he's, he's, he's three for three for me so far. And this new one just looks like a, a fun adventure. I believe it's about, um, I could be wrong about this, but I think it's a father and son lost in the woods and there's kind of crazy characters and... Mm-hmm. And very much, I think if you're if you're a fan of Flight of the Concords or a fan of what we do in the shadows, probably very familiar kind of characters, uh, very familiar kind of feel. But yeah, I'm a big fan of New Zealand filmmaking. I've realized because I've, I've since the last podcast watched um, the Dark Horse, which we're screening 
as we speak and mm-hmm. tomorrow. Uh, really good kind of feel good drama about uh, um, kids playing chess. Kind of a troubled guy helping teach kids about chess. Mm-hmm. And um, but yeah, so that's coming up. It's a little while away, but mark your calendars for that August third for for wilder people, wilder people. And for fans of uh, The Room and Miami Connection and Dangerous Men and anything by Neil Breen, we have another rediscovered, uh, what do you call these movies? You can't call them cult movies. Driving classic? Does that count? Yeah, sort of, I guess, trash cinema. Yeah. Um, It's uh, it's a movie we're screening courtesy of Draft House called The Astrologer. Yay, Draft House. Uh, it's a movie from 1975. It's another kind of labor of love from a writer, director, director slash star who wanted right. to make a movie about himself. Yeah. It's this guy named Craig Denny, who, um, I don't know if he financed this film himself, but it's it's about, uh, it's like, <laughs> I guess, a fake biopic of this astrologer and how he becomes right. super huge and loses his soul and yeah, there's yeah, even yeah. a part in the movie where he's watching a movie about himself called The Astrologer. Um, but this is played at like CineFamily in LA and I guess maybe some other places uh, like that, like the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, and I forget I forget their their name, but I tagged them in a in, in a Twitter at when I was talking about them a couple days ago. Um, basically the guys who 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 did this, they did a Kickstarter to kind of fund the digital restoration. Yeah, because they found a print, and yeah. they wanted to restore the print and make, and they did. They, they um, were showing a DCP of, of um, I guess, like the last remaining print of it. Yeah, which is crazy. So they, they, there's one print, that's it. <laughs> and there yeah. might be others out there, but not to their knowledge. But this group, they, they, they have these, these lost films. Yeah, it's the American Genre Film Archive. There you which go. Which is a project... Yeah. The Alamo Draft House guys are behind, and every movie on their website is like, "Want to see it? Want to see it? Want to see it?" So I hope they have continued success, and maybe we could make this an ongoing thing if they keep on uh, restoring these these drive-in classics and j- just the story behind it of of especially in, the, in this in this era of of you know iTunes and Netflix and Amazon and getting any movie you want, and even like the Warner Brothers archives will yeah. like do all kinds of. Uh, you kind of forget that there's stuff that just kind of sits on a shelf or sits in a basement mm-hmm. and gets forgotten about. Well, this movie, there's no home video release. You can't find it online. You can't find it on uh, on VHS or DVD. So yeah, it's and I think we're just doing it's June third. Yeah, uh, it'll be one night only, and it'll be like yeah, probably be your only chance to see it because I don't know if there'll ever be a home video release because he used the filmmaker used um, music by the Moody Blues without. Permission, <laughs> so. But yeah, if they if they keep doing this, and we could show one of their lost films every couple months or so. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Because I, man, the what was the last one we screened? Not the Neil Breen one, but um, uh, the one you just mentioned, Dangerous Man. Dangerous Man. Yeah. Dangerous Man blew me away. Like, yeah, like it was it was such an experience, and you sit there and you you almost think you're being, and and it's funny because like I don't want to like laugh at the filmmaker yeah but it's hard not to but man but like, you still kind of respect their their ambition like it's like all these films like miami connection dangerous men astrologer the room what they all have in common is, is that there's this like crazy visionary behind it yeah who is like directing and starring in it and this is their like 
their chance to like make their yeah. dream project. Yeah. And if you've ever seen they don't necessarily have the the skill or the right. talent, but they have the passion and and the ambition. And like if you've ever seen uh like Tim Burton and Johnny Depp's Ed Wood. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it's akin to that for it's sure. So, and e- even if Johnny Depp's characterization might have been slightly more Johnny Depp than yeah. the real Ed Wood, it's so endearing and so kind of inspiring. Yeah, it's very respectful. And and where it's like like it's it's so backhanded, but like this guy with no talent made a movie. Yeah. And did it. And and in the case of of Astrologer, 40 years later, people have found it and are excited to watch it and share it with people. Yeah, because a lot of the time these films are like literally found in like a, you know, a dumpster or yeah, like some, yeah, yeah. some film lab or a theater or something. And they're like, oh, what's this? And you put it on you're like, it's unlike anything you've seen before. Yeah. And, and, and just the fact too that, that as we stand now, you can't even go into like some used store and find it on VHS. No, no, like it's, no. It's gone. No. And and because even like, there was a book a while ago that had it was a great like kind of coffee table book that just had all the 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 VHS art from all these kind of driving classic movies, but you look through them and it's the same thing. It's like this giant coffee table book with a few hundred movies in it, and none of those made it onto DVD or Netflix mm-hmm. or theatrical distribution, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are, are super trash, but a lot of them have some some charm. They're never to boring. Them. Oh yeah, 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 and they're fun to watch and and. Uh, I think really in this age there, since we don't, we don't really have, except for us with the repertory cinemas, we don't have those kind of movies that get a big push. Whereas as, you know, back in the eighties, even movies like monster movies, kind of teen horror movies, Mm -hmm. that stuff doesn't really get released anymore, except for maybe straight to, to TV kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, but so yeah, it, it's it's just so fun to kind of watch them on the big screen, and and it really gives you kind of a flashback of of the era mm-hmm. when like and even this movie, I, I guess maybe the did hope, you see the trailer? Yeah, the trailer's on our Facebook page. Um, yeah, I highly recommend checking it out. It's an amazing. It's it's a new trailer that I think the Cine Family people may, cut together. It's it totally gives you a taste of. Yeah. Of what you're in store for. It's a really amazing trailer. And right now they don't even have a new poster for it. Yeah. For me to um, mock up. Um, so Hopefully I, we'll get one from the Draft House people. Like yeah. Like design one or something. Yeah. Cause so, so it's not on our premiere page at the moment just because I don't have any material to work with because the best thing I could find online was like old, like actual 1975 drive-in ad cutouts from the paper. Yeah, you'll see. Like, if you go on Google, you'll see ads for it with, like, double-billed with, like, the Zodiac Killer or yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm going to post a couple of those on Twitter just for fun. Yeah, yeah, you they're should. cool. But, but yeah, it, that's always the thing, too, is, like, when, when, when you can't find a poster for something on the internet, that means it is a very rare movie because anything else you type in, you'll find a poster for uh, most other films ever made. Yeah. But this one's, I guess, you know, it's 40 years, 40, 41 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, but, uh, but yeah, that looks like a very fun, uh, fun, uh, B grade cinema for everyone to come and check out. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it, it's leapfrogging. Cause so we have at the end of May, we have Pee Wee's big adventure for our kids club movie mm-hmm. and just kind of got advanced booking. So the end of June we have, um, the last unicorn. Mm-hmm. So that's 
two Kids Club movies coming up at the end of May and the end of June. And on June 11th, we're finally able to bring back Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Not our fault. There just was nothing available. Ah, okay. And um, they had to make a new compilation. Yeah. And uh, so finally got that. So come out for that June 11th. And that's kind of why we, we wanted to book a kind of cartoon for Kids Fest to kind of one-two punch that. So you come out June 11th and then come out at the end of the month and see Last Unicorn. And if no one, if uh, anyone listening hasn't been to one of our serial parties before, it's about three hours of retro cartoons and commercials and fun stuff. We will have a whole bunch of cereal, and you can have all junk the food ce- cereal. Yeah, junk food cereal, and you can have all the cereal you would like. Um, you know, someone asked if they could bring a bowl, and I kind of joke. I'm like, you could bring a bowl within reason. Please don't bring, you know, a sand bucket to fill up with cereal. Do people do that? Do they bring? Some some people were, were very nice and reasonable, but then I caught one guy, and he had like a like a salad bowl. Oh God! That that probably held about three boxes worth of cereal, and you're like, and 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 like you know, three liters of milk. And you're like, no, don't Jesus. don't don't do that. It's like Andre the Giant. Yeah, cereal. pretty much. And um, so yeah, and it's a little bit different thing because like maybe there'll be one cartoon you're not interested in, so that'll give you a bit of time to come back out and get more cereal or whatever, but. It's always just, like, speaking of, like, lost classics, like, some stuff you might be familiar with, but some stuff, like, I consider myself a pretty A-plus nerd, and I was like, I haven't heard of half of this stuff that gets screened on these these compilations. Right, right. And then some of it is just, like, crazy old commercials, like, like uh, for cereal or, or with um, uh, a Norman Bates-themed, like, breakfast cereal commercial, uh, or, you know, just weird... Gene ads or Schoolhouse Rocks yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. just, just really like you know, you watch cartoons whenever you want, but that that era is gone. That Saturday morning era of getting up early, watching the commercials. So they don't do it anymore. No, exactly. It was a couple years ago. Like ABC had had their yeah their Saturday morning thing, and I think CBS did, but they don't do it at all. No, it was a couple years ago. It like made the news where like like they they stopped. So whenever it was, it was like. Fall 2013, no more Saturday morning cartoons on network television. So and it's probably just infomercials now. It's probably that, or I bet you it's just like news or like you know golf or something. I don't yeah. know, but but you know the, the good news is of course there's there's cartoon networks. You know there's Netflix, there's whatever, there's DVDs and Blu-rays. Yeah. So there's no shortage. But that's my old man thing. There was something about getting up at six in the morning and it was dark out yeah and watching cartoons for like 11 or not 11 hours till 11 or noon and eating the horrible cereal and watching the commercials for gi joe and transformers it was kind of a whole package and now that's gone now it's kind of you know now when a kid watches um spongebob they're watching it without commercials and watching it whenever they want or on demand so this is akin to that where we, we do it at 10 in the morning. So not too early, but we want to do it so it's actually Saturday morning. So so doors open at 9.30, cartoons start at 10, and you'll get to see a crazy marathon. Oh, and wear pajamas. Wear yep. pajamas. That's the fun part. But uh, yeah, so that's coming up June 11th, and hopefully now maybe we'll be able to get that at a more steady pace every few months like we did the first uh, first couple of years. This is the eighth one if we're numbering mm-hmm. it correctly which we've been guilty of screwing yep. up on before yep. but uh, uh, yeah so that's that's coming up soon uh, a lot of people excited about that uh, how are we doing are we uh, I think we're just about out of time cool 
Um, yeah, I'm not looking at my watch. I always lose track in Babylon. But, uh, yeah, so uh, be sure to check out our friends across the street at House of Targ. Uh, I think they just got a Ghostbusters pinball. Or they're about to get a Ghostbusters oh, cool. pinball. Uh, so that's a cool geek thing you can check out across the street. And um, I'm trying to think of the uh, an audible. Um, oh, well. Hologram for the King, I guess? There must be. There must be one. Or, or I'm sure some... Uh, uh, Miles Davis books on there too, I'm sure. There's a Miles Davis autobiography. Oh, there you go. I don't know if there's a, uh, an audiobook version of it, but yeah. uh, go to audibletrial.com slash Mayfair Theatre Podcast and uh, you can download a free audiobook. Cool. And, and uh, find us online at mayfairtheatre.ca and Instagram at Mayfair Theatre, mm-hmm. Twitter at Mayfair Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. Every, carrier Pigeon. Uh, we don't have a Snapchat, but maybe one of these <laughs> days. Uh, seems like a lot of work. I hope they stop making social media. We're good with this. Oh, I, that, yeah. I don't, I don't want a new one. Uh, cool. So we'll talk to you next week. All right. See you later. Bye, buddy.